Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Welcome back to Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry. I have a quick question for you, and I want you to weigh in. It's about guns. It's about your guns. And so I understand, I understand if you're hesitant to to share some of this information, maybe you could just send me a a text message, 57500. That's the Utah Community Credit Union text line. Uh, But if you would, if you wouldn't mind, uh, give a call into the program. Uh, I have a question for you, and I want to ask, have you purchased a firearm for the first time in your life uh, during the year 2020? Did you become a new gun owner uh, in the year 2020? 801-575-TALK. 801-575-8255. That's KSL Talk. Call me and share with me your story. Uh, if you want, you can keep your name quiet or whatever you'd like, uh, but share with me your story. And, and the reason I ask is this. I'd like to know why. Why you chose uh, to become a gun owner this year. It turns out that you are nowhere near alone. If you purchased a gun for the first time in your life in this year, you are one of millions of Americans who made the exact same decision this year. Amid the coronavirus pandemic, among massive civil unrest, amid uh, heated and contentious uh, presidential uh, electioneering, uh, there is somewhere in there found by many the motivation to become first-time gun owners. Uh, 801-575-8255. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, and let me, uh, just because I like talking about guns, let me tell you uh, about the the very first uh, firearm that I ever owned. Uh, and and if, you, if, you're, if you're into guns uh, and if you are into browning history, uh, you will, you might be a little upset with me. My first... <laughs> My first firearm was a gift, and so I can't, really can't take uh, responsibility for it. Uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful uh, rifle, but it's uh, it's a knockoff. What I got was, and it was a gift uh, from my father, a Norinco JW20. A Norinco JW20. Anyone anyone know that that model? Norinco JW20. Now, I feel bad. I shouldn't have introduced the firearm the way that I did because it was a wonderfully generous gift from my father, and it is a firearm that I have held on to ever since, and I love and cherish and is uh, my most favorite uh, rifle that I own. Uh, but the, the the reason I said that uh, Browning historians may be a little frustrated with me is that uh, Norinco, the Norinco company, uh, actually copied a model designed by John Moses Browning, the SA-22. All right. Uh, so JW20, that's what I have. SA22, that's what Browning designed. But what is interesting about this 22 rifle is it loads through the buttstock. R- alongside uh, the stock, there is a channel. The way it works is you uh, you take the the firearm, you point it at the ground, and you uh, you twist and pull out a rod that extends into the gun uh, from where the buttstock. Uh, interacts with your shoulder. Once you have that rod removed, there is then an open channel. Uh, and that open channel do you then uh, fill uh, with your bullets, your little 22 rimfire uh, 
bullets. And then uh, you slide the rod back in place, you twist it, and it's semi-automatic, right? So you uh, chamber the first round and pew, pew, pew until you have run out of ammunition. I have been uh, target shooting with that rifle since I was very, very young. I have been squirrel hunting with that twenty-two rifle. I haven't gotten many. I'm not a great squirrel hunter. They're, they're so fast and small. Uh, I, I can't get them. Uh, but it has, for me, been uh, just a, a beautiful piece of uh, in my collection, and it is when I have opportunity to take it out uh, and go shooting, uh, I am, I, I'm reminded of all of the the good outings with my with my dad. Now that first gun story is far different than the story likely that informs uh, and inspires most of the first firearm purchases of this past year, the year uh, 2020, with all of the uh, upheaval, with all of the confusion, with all of the uncertainty, with all of uh, the noise in politics, uh, what could possibly be uh, motivating uh, these these first-time buyers? Uh, industry analysts and trade groups say that, that first-time purchases of firearms uh, skyrocketed this year to more than double, listen to this, double the national average from past years, right? So there are twice as many guns being purchased this year, and 40% of those new gun sales are attributed to first-time buyers. It's difficult to, it's difficult to look at the numbers of firearms uh, purchased because many, uh, many firearms manufacturers are not uh, publicly traded. There are some exceptions, and so we can uh, glean a little bit of information from the exceptions. Like uh, Smith & Wesson and Ruger, uh, you can see the value of their stock. And <laughs> let me tell you, spoiler alert, the value of those stocks have shot up significantly uh, this uh, past year. Uh, accordingly, there is a uh, Geneva-based uh, small arms survey, and the, the U.S., had and this is just some some information. Uh, the the U.S. had 393 million guns in 2017, uh, second highest second highest country in the world. C- could you guess this? Second hundred second highest country in the world in terms of gun ownership. Uh, any guesses? Yeah, India. India has 71 million. Third, can you guess the second high or the third highest gun owning country in the world? Yeah, China, 50 million. Uh, both of those nations have over four times the population of the United States, which uh, in 2017, uh, most recent numbers there, 393. And those numbers have only uh, grown. Absolutely uh, fascinating stuff. Uh, quickly, before we get to the break, I want to speak with Scott from Harriman. Uh, he bought a gun for the first time this year. Scott, to talk to me about your decision making. Um, you know, I, I grew up around guns. My dad was actually a gunsmith, so it's not like I've I've never been afraid of guns per se, but I had kids in the house and I really didn't feel like I needed one. So I just never got one this year with the civil unrest that we've seen. I, uh, I wasn't really concerned about it, making it all the way down to my house, but you never know what might happen. So I thought it might be prudent to have something in case I did need it for defense, uh, expecting and hoping that I never will. Um, also, I, if this next election goes off the way that I think it might, uh, there might be a lot more gun control laws uh, after the next inauguration. So it seemed like this year was a good time to get it if I was going to. Fascinating. Uh, Scott, uh, just to satisfy my own curiosity, would you mind sharing what you, what you purchased? Uh, I, I bought an AR-15, which makes me sound like a, 
radical to some people, but it's just a rifle, no, no, so no, nothing not, special about not, it. Not radical at all. Good for you, and welcome to the club. Uh, Scott, thanks again for the call. You, you heard an interesting point there made uh, about what could come next year should president uh, should the presidency be occupied uh, by Joe Biden. Now, you don't hear him talk about gun control really ever. It hasn't come up in the debates. Uh, you don't hear that when he is uh, addressing people online or in videos. His surrogates don't talk about the Second Amendment. But uh, I've been trying to pay pretty close attention to his views and positions on the Second Amendment, you know, just being such a, a supporter of it as I am. The, if, if you make your way to his website, uh, you can find a firearms restrictions plan, which is absolutely startling. We'll dig into that on a later program, uh, you know, but uh, but the intentions of uh, a Joe Biden administration would be very, very damaging uh, to gun ownership uh, in, in this country. We'll get into those details later on. We're going to take a break right now. When we return, uh, gun sales, first-time gun sales, setting records across the country. But what about here in Utah? Brittany Glass with KSL Television, an investigative reporter there. She dug into the numbers and guess what? The trends don't stop here at Utah. They only get bigger. She'll share with us the details next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. Welcome back to Live Mike. We're into the final hour of today's episode number 213. That's pretty good. And we're talking about guns. And I'm a fan of that. So we're having a pretty good day. Uh, I am honored to be joined by Brittany Glass with KSL uh, Television, investigative reporter there. Brittany uh, did some 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 exhaustive work looking into the number of background checks and sales of firearms here in the state of Utah over this past year. Uh, she spoke with uh, some first-time gun owners uh, themselves and ha- has learned much, and I uh, very much appreciated her work, which you could have uh, seen on television, and uh, who will uh, help us understand exactly what she found. Uh, Brittany, first, how you doing? Doing well, Lee. How about yourself? Not too bad. Grateful to have you on the program today. Tell me, what did you find in this report? Oh, man, a lot. <laughs> uh, what I will say is ultimately what got me interested in this is we always hear the the anecdote that election years, gun sales are on the rise, background checks then are also on the rise. So I got some, you know, federal data from the FBI. And ultimately, over time, since really, I mean, we looked at 20 years from 2000 to 2020, at 20 years of data and ultimately found that Utah is seeing a huge spike in background checks for firearms, and ultimately there are two big spikes, one in the 2010-2011 era, and of course, uh, you know, the last 12 months. 2010-2011, any idea what would have sparked that, that uh, that's an election year, or there was some electioneering happening then? Um... You know, that was... That was my big question, and there's still a little bit of a question mark on that. Uh, I I spoke to the Bureau of Criminal Investigation, uh, BCI, here in Utah, and they were trying to figure it out as well. Uh, You know, not a lot of mass shootings in that year, right? Sandy Hook was December 2012. Uh, 2011, just for whatever reason, really has hit the record. But of course, now we're on that same rise once again. Yeah, I, I could see uh, I could see uh, Obama v. Romney uh, motivating some gun sales. Uh, also, now I don't imagine this was a big motivator, but some interesting gun history took place here in the state of Utah in 2011. Now that uh, you mentioned the year. And uh, if you look at Utah State Code, you know, we have a list of state symbols, the state flower, uh, the state vegetable, the state song. Uh, We here in Utah in 2011 became the first state in the nation to have 
uh, an official state firearm. Uh, the John, really? Yeah, the John Moses Browning designed uh, Colt M1911 is the official state firearm of Utah, and that was uh, passed by the legislature and signed by the governor in 2011. Not sure that that led to you know a nationwide spike in gun sales, but uh, it's a little piece of Utah <laughs> trivia nonetheless. Well, it certainly accounts for the state rise. Absolutely. There you go. Sure. Uh, okay, so now what did we find uh, about this past year here in the state of Utah? Yeah, so ultimately uh, we analyzed the data. The FBI only put out the data for this year, obviously, through September. So January 1st through September uh, 30th, nine months of data, and we are already beating the entire year last year uh, for background checks. So all 12 months of 2019, we've already beat that record in just the nine months of 2020. That's stunning. And, and you, for your report, you had some uh, some fascinating conversations. You spoke to some individuals who uh, became gun owners for the, for the first time. What were some of their motivations? Yeah, there's a huge rise, Lee, here in Utah of uh, first-time gun buyers. I mean, I spoke to wives of law enforcement officers. Their their husbands have been officers for decades, and they've never once considered carrying. And then this year is the year. So obviously, uh, law enforcement safety, those families uh, told me that they feel targeted. Obviously, with the social unrest going on, uh, people are just fearful. Uh, there was one man, longtime uh, a gun buyer. And he was just like, you know what, I'm buying more this year because of the fact that I want to be self-reliant during COVID. We saw our supply chains totally affected and he just wants to buy up. And of course, that means that stock supply and demand totally plays a part here. Yeah. You also had an opportunity to speak to gun shop owners and gun dealers. What'd you learn from them? Oh, my goodness. Well, I I spoke to Neil Curry. He's the owner of Ready Gunner in Orem. And he told me that (laughs) up until we talked, right, he's looking at his annual data. 2019 was the very best year for him in the last 10 years he's been in business. Uh, He never thought that he would break that 2019 record. He broke it, Lee, in the first six months of 2020. Oh, my gosh. The first So so halfway through the year, he's already surpassed his, uh, his best year to date. Yeah, best year ever. Already surpassed it. Wow. Did he give you any indication? Are are there any commonalities among the types of guns that people are buying? Are are we buying uh, AR-15s or handguns or shotguns? Any sense of what's going out the door? Or is it just uh, wholesale, everything must go? Uh, It it kind of, you know, it's a mixed bag, right? Uh, It seems to be that more of the the handgun is, is a really popular, the Glocks are really popular, he said. But ultimately, it's just that everything, everything is more popular than it used to be, if that makes sense. So everything's becoming increasingly uh, sought after. But but the handgun, the Glock, definitely uh, some of the most popular items. He told me that he can't even keep it on the shelf, Glocks, uh, specifically for 48 hours. Yeah. Uh, Brittany, uh, excellent work, excellent reporting. Thank you so much for bringing this to my attention. And listen, anytime you're working on some kind of gun story, uh, you can be sure that you can meet me right here and we'll chat about it all day long. Would love to. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Again, that's Brittany Glass with KSL Television, an investigative reporter. Uh, I have a few minutes left before I go to break, and it's a great opportunity for me to share a uh, story with you that I know. Brittany mentioned that many Glocks are being sold. I, uh, a number of years ago, uh, one, one of my one of the first handguns that I bought was a, a Glock, the Glock 30. It's a 45 uh, caliber. 
Uh, I still have it today. A big fan of that handgun. And when I got it, I was very curious about uh, its history and its manufacturing and what went into uh, making that firearm because it is, uh, it is in a sense, revolutionary. Right, it was probably one of the first that really introduced the like the polymer uh, grip and the, the polymer uh, base, and also that that kind of changed the trajectory of, of firearms. And also revolutionary was the business model. <clears throat> right, uh, Gaston Glock was the the founder, is the founder of the the company, also the designer of the uh, the first Glock handgun. And he what he did was first uh, designed an incredibly simple handgun and then second uh, started essentially just kind of giving away samples to uh, law enforcement uh, agencies, different uh, jurisdictions, sheriff's departments and police departments or sheriff's offices and police departments. And uh, those samples were well received and they led to uh, large contracts. And that is what in large part uh, gave Glock its opportunity to grow. Uh, But in these last moments, how about this for a story? Gaston Glock, uh, he, uh, a number of years ago, an elderly man, uh, but robust. He uh, had a business partner who had wronged him, uh, or so he thought. And so Gaston, he intended to confront this business partner of his. And so uh, the, the, an arrangement was made. We're going to meet at this place. Uh, the business partner was kind of thinking, oh, shoot, I'm in trouble. Uh, and so he comes up with this plan to have Gaston uh, killed. And so he uh, contracts someone. He gets himself a a contract killer uh, who ended up being like an Olympic wrestler. And uh, so Gaston Glock, a man in his 80s, is on his way to a meeting, or so he thought, uh, was ambushed by an Olympic wrestler. And Glock, uh, what he does is, Gaston, the man uh, in his 80s, he... Uh, oh, first off, he's bashed in the head with something, so he's bleeding all over the place. Uh, he ultimately ends up overpowering this Olympic wrestler, subduing him, and able to, with a free hand, call the police who arrive on the scene. And they, they notice, they, when they arrive on the scene, they notice uh, that Glock has a handgun tucked in his waistband. And they say, "Hold on a second. Why didn't you? Why didn't you uh, use your weapon?" He said, "Well, I didn't think it. Uh, I didn't think it had risen to that uh, level of of severity quite yet." He is mugged by a contract killer who happens to be an Olympic wrestler, and he is not uh, fearful for his life uh, to the extent where he needs to do anything beyond uh, hand-to-hand combat. Uh, pretty impressive guy. His story is impressive, and uh, and there you have it. There's a little bit of background uh, of Glock, one of the guns that's uh, being sold in pretty large number right now. Okay, we're going to take a break right now. And when we return, we're going to be joined by uh, KSL News Radio reporter Paul Nelson to give us an update uh, on the sentencing of uh, Ayula Ajayi, the man convicted of killing an innocent girl. We'll get those details next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do when a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything it was violent it was senseless and i will never understand it i will never accept it i'm amy donaldson and unfortunately we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives but what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt in a new podcast the letter we relive tragedy but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. 
I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.